Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode number 53. Today we're talking about 0.96, climate platform overhaul, and John Smart Home. But as usual, joining us today, we have Phil. Hey, Phil. Hey, how's it going? Good. And as I mentioned, we've also got John. Hey, John. Hey, guys. Whereabouts in the world are you from, John? Uh, I'm in Denver, Colorado. Ah, nice. That is very cool. It's a beautiful place. Yes, it is. Today's episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nebukasa. Easily and securely access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. Configuration is via the user interface, so no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. So we've got some fun stuff going on uh, with Home Assistant. So let's uh, let's jump right into it. So first of all, Home Assistant Cast. Not sure if uh, how many people have seen the blog post, but uh, Paul has basically put out a blog post saying, hey, for my birthday, I decided to release this interface change a little bit so that uh, you can display a home assistant on pretty much any Google Chromecast capable device. So uh, there is a blog post around that, but it looks pretty cool. I mean, I think Phil and I both chatted about it offline as well. And uh, and we've chatted about it with Paulus and Pascal and stuff. It looks really interesting. Phil, what are your thoughts around it? I saw the tweet come out and I immediately just, this is, I could just, my mind went crazy with sort of automation ideas. I think I replied to the home assistant tweet, I was like, you know, straight away, like, uh, if you want a, a briefing in the morning to say, you know, what your commute is, it's easy to do now with a, a Lovelace travel time card. Um, you know, if, if there's a guest over, you could put like Wi-Fi information up, you know, so many like cool use cases for this. I'm actually really jealous that I don't really, I'm not really in the, the Google cast like ecosystem. So yeah. it's really going, yeah, I'm, I'm very jealous, but yeah, it's been pretty popular. Um, uh, I think there was uh, a tweet from uh, Android headlines. Uh, the Nest Home Hub is finally useful thanks to Home Assistant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like I think it's a really popular little uh, feature. Then, and yeah, it's good to see. I, well, I mean, we, we had no idea this was coming, and I, I'm guessing Paulus is just one of those crazy ideas in the back of his head. He's just like, "Yep, I'm just plucked that out, and, and here we go." So, yeah, I think it was a nice little surprise. Yeah, it, was, uh, it looks pretty cool. So I'm, I'm, I, I was thinking about it uh, yesterday, and I was like, uh, do I get a Google uh, Home Hub? But I don't know. I think, I think I've, I have two homes, and I have a bunch of net, uh, bunch of uh, Amazon Echoes. So I, yeah. I can go either way. But I don't know if I. I know yeah. it's really hard not to get a Google Home at the moment, right? Like. They just give, I don't know if it's the same where you guys are, but here they just try and give them away like candy. I mm-hmm. think when they, they launched, um, we had like the, the local football, uh, you would go to the football and they'll be out there, you know, like just handing them out for free to people. Uh, I'm a Google One subscriber, so I think last month they were just giving them out to existing Google One subscribers for free, like the home minis. Uh, you know, wow. you sign up for a new phone contract, here's a good, free Google Home. Yeah. Like, it's really hard not to get one. Uh, for free, so I've, I've so far avoided it. Um, yeah, <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, no. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, John. I mean, I, I for me at least here in Canada, I see I see that as well. Like, hey, you bought a TV, congrats. Here's a Google Home. Hey, you bought a <laughs> whatever. Here's a Google Home. I don't know. 
I, I, I talked to, I have a few friends in the U S that say kind of the same thing. I mean, John, <clears throat> I think it's similar here in the U S but I also think that uh, Amazon echo is pretty prevalent also because Amazon, I mean, yeah. there's commercials for it. There's advertisement for it everywhere. I mean, you can get everything two day shipping. Great. And they advertise the echo, you know, along with that and the echo show and all those things. Mm-hmm. So I do see advertisements for the, uh, the, the Google devices, but it doesn't seem as popular anywhere else interesting yeah i've i've i don't really watch a ton of tv but i haven't seen um uh, i've seen like billboards on uh yeah. for the google home and stuff i haven't mm. like you you see you see ads on the echo right where like on tv oh, yeah. or on yep. like you know you're watching super bowl hey here's the ads you're sure, watching yeah. whatever it's here's the ads so and and obviously especially if you're if you're shopping on amazon right oh absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Incidentally, at at the time of this recording, I mean tomorrow and day after are Prime Day, so I'm getting uh, getting excited. So I'm going to see what I can <laughs> snag. Grab a good Google Home. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> On Prime Days, yeah. <laughs> so 0.96 is here, and it's a pretty big release in terms of I would say uh, user interface. Um, but I think before we we get onto that the there's a big change to the climate platform uh as i mentioned before we it's such a big change we, we didn't want to get on the podcast and uh and accidentally uh claim it was something that it's not so uh we've got paulus uh we had a quick chat with paulus before uh just to explain uh what the overhaul is and, and what it means in this release so paulus what is the climate platform like what have you done for this release we did a giant refactor of the climate uh, integration, but mm-hmm. that should mainly be under the hood. Like you won't, you might have some breaking changes in your automations, but what generally happens is that we made some mistakes when the way the climate integration evolved over time. But the biggest mistake we made is that we conflated uh, operation mode with operating mode. So mm. for example, if you put your thermostat in heating and say, I want the house to be heated to like 20 Celsius, then operating mode is what it's currently doing. So if it's below 20 Celsius, it's heating. But if it's above 20 Celsius, it's idle because there's nothing going on. Right. And so the thermostat state would contain, depending on the integration, one of the two. Got it. And this was a big uh, pain point, especially when we want to integrate with things like uh, Google or Alexa, because you know they expect like a fixed set of uh, operating operation modes. They don't really care about operating modes because you just want to. When you change your thermostat, you change the operation mode, not the operating mode. Yeah. Yes. And so we, yeah, we Pascal uh, did a, uh, spearheaded this project. And like looked at every different like thermostat and AC system in the world and came up with a design that fits pretty much everything. So we're now very strict in what can be an operation mode. So it's like heat, cool, or like a heat cool. So that's like both where you have like a range with yeah. like an upper and a lower bound. And then things like eco or an away mode or these kind of things that people used to like kind of sneak into our operation modes, they are now all exposed as presets. And so a preset pretty much means that like we just use an existing operation mode, but we have different set points that we are targeting or we're heating and cooling slower because um, we're in eco mode. Or, right. And this approach allowed us to just kind of like, you know, make it work perfectly with like all integrations out there. That's awesome. Yeah, the idea was that 
if you have an ECOBI or if you have a homotics or, or whatever to thermostat, everything works in the same way. Like, yeah, like before, every, yeah, every integration was working a bit different. And now we have one model they, yeah, they yeah. implemented by the platforms. So you can it's now mix up uh, ECOBI and, and uh, C-Wave uh, Climate and it works exactly in the same way. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. That's that's super important, too, especially driving towards 1.0, kind of some of the stuff we talked about, right? You want you want that standardization of the abstraction layer where you kind of say, okay, I want to do this, and then it translates in the back uh, yeah, or whatever. It's, it's, it's no like the light uh, integrations. So yeah. if you have Ikea or, or Philips, everything looks the same on Home Assistant. Perfect. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah, and so it took a lot of work to get this climate change like happening because first we, you know, Pascal did all the work on like designing a new core system, but then mm-hmm. we had to migrate all the existing integrations that Home Assistant has to offer. And so I think in the end, like over fifteen people have been contributing code for this, uh, working like long time, like you know, tirelessly just to like go through all the integrations, migrating it because they're. You know, there's like, I don't know how many integrations were there, like 35 or something, Pascal? Yeah, yes. Yeah. And so... Or, yeah. or, or 45, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And we could not merge it with not having, you know, migrated everything because then this integration would just stop working. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what was over 5,000 lines caught. <laughs> okay. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's why it's an important feature in... In this one. Also in 0.96 is a new sidebar that has come out. And this is probably the biggest change to uh, Home Assistant's UI, I think, since Lovelace. Would that be fair to say, Rohan? You've been playing with the beta. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, it's it, it looks a little neater. It looks a lot more organized. Um, personally, I think it's great. I did see, so uh, Juan from 1M Tech, mm. he uh, mocked it up, uh, I think. And I think he posted it on Twitter. And I was like, hey, this is this actually looks pretty cool. Um, I didn't think uh, that uh, they were going to, like home, the Home Assistant core team is going to take it and integrate it, which I'm kind of happy that they did. Um, I think it looks really neat. Uh, so, yeah, the new sidebar, basically, um, the notifications pane is a little different. It's at the bottom. The developer tools are in its own section. You know, a whole, there's a couple other different pieces in there that are hidden under the developer tools, things like your services and templates and stuff like that. One of the other things as well is the advanced mode. Essentially what happens is with, with, with advanced mode, we're hiding a bunch of other stuff that we don't always need to use. So under your profile, there's actually that too now. So uh, that some of that stuff is hidden. Yeah. And then reloading yeah. automations, configs and stuff like that from the inter- interface. Uh, you need to just flip something on it actually caught me out a bit i um i went to i was changing an automation i was like oh all right i'll just go into general configuration and, and the standard stuff there is still there like you know your location and your time zone and, and all that and yeah. then down the bottom where the the reload is I'm like oh well, that's missing okay uh maybe i just <laughs> need to refresh the ui or something but there's a little there's a time at the, at the very bottom of the new um developer tool section there's a little line saying if you're missing anything uh, in your configuration.yaml file, you just need to enable uh, advanced mode. So once you do that, then all those things will come back. So that's a little trick. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I'm not sure if you're referring to the same thing, but uh, there's actually a uh, advanced mode toggle switch as well, where uh, you can... Uh, oh, 
you can go flip it on and because uh, it's it's under your profile. If you run into that, uh, check it out there. I've always been a big fan of the uh, anything, anything offering in advanced mode. That was always a, a nice feature to have when you come across it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that way it's it's simple uh, unless you want to do, again, something advanced and then flip it on and then and then you can do it. And, and that's on a per-profile basis. Yeah, that's right? uh-huh. so Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, it is hidden there. That's yeah. okay, my, my apologies, but that's that's cool. Yeah. I'm glad I don't have to edit YAML for that. Yeah, so, so even if you, let's say, you and you have a kid and maybe a spouse, maybe you and the spouse want to do advanced mode so because you guys can make more changes things like that your kids maybe you don't necessarily want them mucking around or whatever and so just leave it off and then if they ever want to do anything then great they can turn mm. it on normally if i had kids i wouldn't i wouldn't give them an admin privilege anyways <laughs> but but let's say let's say you do right hypothetical situation <laughs> so um but yeah it, it is on a per profile basis so that's uh that's pretty cool yeah. as well so i think that is a it's made it's given the the ui a lot more room just having that uh, sidebar collapsed so that's going to be really good for users that have home assistant like the lovelace on a tablet or anything like that it's a a nice little just makes things a little neater for the user interface yeah. i think yeah yeah it's a great work one thanks yeah all right some new features that are landing in 0.96 we have the worldwide lightning location network it sounds like the name of a superhero sort of yeah. Um, so using the geolocation platform in Home Assistant, you can now have Home Assistant alert you when lightning is nearby. And that's another integration from Aaron Batcher. So awesome. Like, I really like uh, this sort of stuff where Home Assistant can do some safety or respond to events in real time. And that's a, a great use of the geolocation library there. Zigbee device trackers, you can now use them with uh, the ZHA component. So if you're using a ZSA component, anything Zigbee, that's a device tracker that comes in as a device tracker. So for example, um, the SmartThings arrival tracker is what they tested with. So you can actually use that and uh, mark someone with a uh, home or away or whatever based on that. That's cool. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm using uh, Zigbee to MQTT. So I always wondered how, like, I thought the arrival sensor would be a smart thing sort of thing that would just connect directly to the hub somehow. But if it's ZigBee-based, that's very cool. That just sort of opens it up to other potential users yeah. as well. Yeah, most, most of the SmartThings stuff is ZigBee-based. I actually have one of those arrival sensors somewhere on my table, which I can't find because it's a mess. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, all it does, it, but you're right, it does connect back to the hub, but it connects to the hub with ZigBee because that's what it's programmed with, right? So yeah. um, that's a space station. So if you program it to this, then great, it'll come and talk to this. So. That's awesome. All right. Yeah, yeah. Another uh, new platform entering Home Assistant this release is the Notion Home Monitoring Component. So Notion is an Oreo-sized sensor you can place around your home to get alerts for opening doors, water leaks, and temperature changes. So the sensors are now supported in Home Assistant. New sensors that you may add to your account won't automatically be discovered. That'll come in a future pull request. But uh, yeah, so this is a a cloud-based smart home integration, I'm guessing. So cool to see some more sensors and data coming into Home Assistant. Interesting. I'm curious to know if those are Wi-Fi or if they're Zigbee, Z-Wave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's interesting. they're, They're pretty small. So you'd think maybe Bluetooth or or... Mm-hmm. low power requirement device i couldn't see them being wi-fi i mean i could be completely wrong but um wi-fi would be yeah i wonder what the power requirements are on them. 
Yeah. 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 Must be VLE or something. So maybe I'll ping. I think that's uh, that's one of Aaron's uh, integration as well. So maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe I'll ping. That's actually kind of interesting. Also, Valox ventilation units. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but if you've got a Valox ventilation unit, uh, you can use it to control Home Assistant. Or sorry, you can use Home Assistant to control it using their local WebSocket API. So the fan platform is basically what's utilized under the covers with Home Assistant. And you can turn on and off the unit with uh, either a toggle switch or some kind of a ventilation profile through a service call. And another component that's been added may not be useful for everyone, but I think it's pretty powerful. It's the template vacuum platform. So if you've got an obscure smart vacuum that can't integrate with Home Assistant, there is now the ability to use a combination of uh, Home Assistant templates as well as scripts and automations to uh, enable Home Assistant to control that vacuum cleaner. So you could have uh, like a, a script that uses a curl call or something like that that can control a connected vacuum cleaner. And then you can import that into Home Assistant as a, because Home Assistant has the concept of a, a vacuum cleaner. You can then import that into Home Assistant as a vacuum cleaner and then expose services like, you know, start uh, this process, start cleaning this room, start doing that. So that's really cool. Cool. So some breaking changes. So the temperature attribute from Simply Safe alarm panels, the control panels, those have been removed. So their API, just because of the way their API was uh, written, it's a private API. So it's a bit tricky to get the information pretty reliably. So now they've basically removed it and uh, just kind of save you from having that inconsistent information. And some Zigbee entities for the uh, Zigbee Home Automation component are being removed. From this release, additional parameters for some Zigbee devices uh, will be moved to the device entity, which is going to be a new device entity. Uh, So things like link quality, the last scene, they will now exist against that device object in Home Assistant. And there's also going to be some new sensors added if you're running any battery-operated Zigbee devices. They're actually going to get their own uh, sensor in Home Assistant as a instead of having to rely on the attributes for that device. Right. The ambient solar radiation sensor now measures its values in Lux. So if you have any automations um, that uh, that use any other values, it's going to change. There's a couple of broken changes for Netatmo. Uh, the configuration of individual monitored conditions has been removed. So if you've got that in your config YAML files, you'll need to remove that. And additionally, if the type of device you're linking cannot be determined in by Home Assistant, it's going to default to a Valve uh, which will be basically th- a thermostat component in Home Assistant. So, you know, like turn on, turn off and all that sort of stuff. So if you do run into any issues with uh, any using uh, an, an Atatomo device, just watch out for the, that one in this release. Just maybe double check that everything's still working as expected. And I'm not sure how many people this affects, uh, but the New South Wales Rural Fire Service component has been updated. So the JSON feed that used to use it that it used to consume now uses HTTPS. So if you're using any templation templates or automations, the external ID might change. So just be aware of that. Yeah. I don't think that will affect too many people, but good to see that we're moving over to HTTPS. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some minor but noteworthy updates in this release. Sonos gets a new uh, play queue service. So it makes it possible to force Sonos to start playing from a queue instead of a last played source. So this will make it possible to switch from uh, a radio stream to playing from a like Spotify playlist or local playlist. 
So that's a great little addition there if you're a Sonos user. Hmm, that's cool. And templates can now be used in the for state of triggers. So basically, if you have a automation that fires when a state has been true for a certain period of time, you can now say, hey, if it's been true for X amount of time, now trigger it. So, which is interesting because I've actually been looking for a way to do this uh, for me. So this is great. Yeah, I think the the hack around used to be uh, I've had to do it with like a delay template or a script and and have a delay sort of thing. But yeah, now with this as part of the trigger, that's going to be a great little addition. Yeah. So you can say, hey, listen, if my temperature is higher than, let's call it X degrees for more than one minute, then do whatever, right? Or, you know, if your motion has been detected after this long, okay, then maybe there's something else going on, do whatever task. So, But then that X can also be variable now with the power of temperature. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, John, uh, now it's on to you. Let's, uh, how, uh, how long have you been using Home Assistant? So I've been using Home Assistant now for just over two years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Originally started with OpenHab and quickly jumped over back over to Home Assistant. Didn't care for the, the Java backend. So. Interesting. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That, that, that seems to be a common theme, actually, because mm. we've had a couple of other folks on here that same deal. They started on OpenHab and they're like, ugh, Java, I don't want to deal with that. Right, exactly. And the configuration of OpenHab, it was just way a lot more convoluted than it needed to be, I thought. Interesting. Okay. Okay. That's And so you've obviously experienced OpenHab and, and Home Assistant. Would you say that Home Assistant is easier to config and, and code or, or well, maybe not code, but create automations than OpenHab is? A- absolutely. Uh, I, I thought that working with YAML from the get-go was extremely easy versus mm-hmm. trying to write complex, I, I forget what, OpenHab uses nowadays, but complex um, scripts in OpenHab in the yeah. Java interpreter. It, it's, it was very confusing, especially without a Java background. Mm, so do you, because I haven't really used OpenHab myself, do, to create an automation, do you have to do it in Java as opposed to YAML? No, no, you don't. But they have, uh, it's another um, another type of language, but it was similar to Java. Mm, okay, interesting. that's interesting, okay. yeah. And so was OpenHab your first foray into home automation or how did you get started with your smart home, I guess? Well, uh, I originally got started with home automation when I was a kid. Uh, my, my dad, actually, he uh, he ran X10 devices all around our house. Yep. And I thought it was yes. really, really silly back in the day. You know, why are you plugging these little modules <laughs> everywhere and these lamps into them? What are, what are you doing? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love X10. Oh, the da- those memories. You know, using a little screwdriver to program the Node ID and all those. <laughs> yes. Yes. Run them around yeah. and... 
you know, yelling at me to change the node ID on that one and not this one, you know. <laughs> so that, that was my first introduction to it. And then really getting accustomed to, you know, coming home at night and, oh, the lights are already on. That's really neat, you know. Yeah. So as I was growing up, I experienced kind of home automation at its you know, its base, its core, you know, which was X10 mm. when it first came out. So That's awesome. I think I think my dad still has a couple of X10 devices <laughs> like yeah. this. He doesn't use them, but I think they're lying in his basement yeah, somewhere. Yeah. I, think I, I think I have a couple of my dad's old ones now, too. That's funny. I, I've got some in a box somewhere because I tried to sell them on eBay, but no one wants them anymore. So. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> That's right. So um, eventually, once I you know, got older and moved out and, and all that stuff happened, I, uh, I, I carried the X10 stuff with me, and eventually that transitioned into Insteon hardware, uh, which was the... the came after X10. And um, so now I'm, I'm using the core of my stuff. It's all Insteon. So okay. all, all lights and modules and switches and all that kind of stuff that I've run are all Insteon based. So oh, that's cool. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. How do you, how do you find Insteon? Cause uh, I've, I've heard mixed reviews. Some people say, yeah, it's great. It works. You know, it's solid, whatever. And some people are like, well, you know, you're kind of locked in and it's kind of, it's very um, static. Like you can't change a ton of stuff in it and so on and so forth. I mean, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I honestly think it's incredibly uh, not only flexible but also robust. So you can okay. you can you know uh, you you have a central hub for instance, and mm-hmm. then uh, you would add a device and, and pair it with the hub, just like you would any other you know smart home technology. But yep. then as you add more devices to your network, your network gets more robust. So instead of devices communicating only with the hub, they communicate with each other. Right. So it's right. almost like sort of like Zigbee, Z Wave, and that kind of thing. Yeah, you're creating where it meshes. A, yep, a mesh network essentially. Interesting. Okay. And also, once everything is configured, it literally just works all the time. I don't have to think twice or check batteries or whatever. Like if I can, if I want to turn a light switch on, the light switch turns on. There's no question of if the light switch turned on. Right. Mm. Right. Right. So, is it locked into a single brand? Like, is Insteon the protocol, or is Insteon the the brand, and it controls everything, and you can only buy Insteon like devices? Like, uh, it's it... both, actually. So, okay. Insteon Insteon is a company uh, which makes products, but it's also a protocol. Yeah. Right. It's it's similar to my Lutron switches, where you know they use their own proprietary little communication protocol, but it's yeah. also manufactured by Lutron, right? It's the same way. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yes, yes. So, okay. so I'm using the, I'm using a, a hub or a central hub uh, by Universal Devices called the ISY994i. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the main INSEAN hub. So everything communicates to that, and then Home Assistant grabs data directly from nice. it. Nice. Okay. Right. So so I was going to ask, so where, where does Home Assistant, Home Assistant come into this now? So... Because uh, I, I believe Insteon does have its own automation engine, which may be kind of basic, or, or, or am I mistaken there? No, no, it does. Yep. Right. So, so for you, where does where does Home Assistant plug in? So you've got your Insteon stuff. Uh, you've got has. So where's the where's the integration, or what are you doing? So right now I'm running uh, Home Assistant on a Docker container. Yeah. And uh, and, and Home Assistant uh, lives on a, a Synology NAS. And, okay. and it's pulling everything, uh, all the data uh, over the network from different devices from there. Got it. Okay. Okay. Just on your Synology, how have you found Home Assistant running on there? Have you run into any slowness or anything? Mine got a bit sluggish, so I had to move away. But I, I'm guessing I'm running a fair bit. No, I haven't run into any problems at all. It seems to just work and it's incredibly stable. Nice. Mm. Okay. 
That's uh, that's that's awesome. So, I mean, in the other sense of things, so are, do your automations sit on Instion or do they sit in Home Assistant or? So, um, so the Instion platform has the ability to cre- to create its own automations within the mm-hmm. Instion, you know, kind of firmware. Um, yeah. What I've chosen to do is run literally everything out of Home Assistant. So the Instion hub is basically kind of a null device. It's just passing traffic and data between yeah. Home Assistant and devices. So I didn't want to okay. confuse it, basically. Mm. Yeah, just just yeah. a bridge, essentially, yep. at that point, right? Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, I've, and with that platform, I've also managed to run um, the, the universal devices uh, hub that I'm using has the ability to also communicate via Zigbee or Z-Wave. I believe just Z-Wave. Also, it's got those radios built in. It's got the radio built in also, yes. So it communicates oh, via Instagram as well as Z-Wave. And then I've got a, a Z-Wave um, thermostat, which controls the climate. Okay. Oh, okay. that's really cool. So so you're pretty into that, that let's call it the RF ecosystem there. Yeah. Zigbee, Z-Wave, whatever. So not, not a lot of Wi-Fi. You may have a few things, but... Yeah, you know, a couple of Wi-Fi. That's kind of it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 what? What? Uh, well, I guess let's talk about what devices you got. So, what? What? Uh, what kind of stuff do you have in your smart home? So, I have um, Lifex light bulbs. Okay. Uh, which I'm a big fan of. Um, I really like the, uh, the the not only the spectrum that they support, but also the scale of light that they support. Right. Um, mm-hmm. In the early days, I saw a kind of a breakdown between Hue and Lifex, and Lifex just blew Hue out of the water. As really? far as okay. what it supported and you know how much light output you had and, and those kind of things, so yeah. I, I went with Lifex from the get go. Even though they were more expensive, you know now they're roughly the same. But there's no hub either. So, how do you find the having light bulbs on the Wi-Fi network? One of the big uh, things that sort of stopped me from going down with Lifex was I didn't want you know, my Netflix to be slow because I was trying to turn off and on light bulbs, if that makes sense. And yeah. I, I found with the more IoT gadgets I've I've added, I I had to uh, upgrade my Wi-Fi router anyway because I eventually got too many devices. That's without having all the light bulbs on the Wi-Fi. So I can only imagine, you know, if you've got, you know, 20-odd lights that need to be added to your Wi-Fi network, it's surely going to add a bit of strain somewhere or something like that. Well, well uh, I, I was running into that uh, initially uh, when you start adding a lot more Wi-Fi devices, like you were talking about, mm. than, than, you know, colliding yeah. the network and causing slowdowns and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the things that I did to overcome that was um, I'm running unified network hardware, mm-hmm. and I created a secondary AP virtually on Unify just for all the smart home devices. So I've, okay. seg- I've segregated all the smart home devices from everything else. Right, that makes sense. And uh, because of that, I, I don't experience any slowdowns or drops really anymore. Right. Okay, that's cool. So all the all the smart home devices basically live in their own subnet. That makes sense. So do you have any like when you interface with your Instagram stuff or with with whatever? Do you typically use voice? Do you use tablets? What's the what's your what's that look like? Well, actually, back to your previous question of, of devices I have around the home. So I have the Lifex uh, for lights. Um, yeah. I, I also have uh, a couple of Sonos speakers. Um, I originally yep. had the Amazon Echoes, and they were great, but I didn't like the fact that I couldn't use a media player uh, with them. That was kind of locked into the ecosystem, which Amazon provided, which I didn't care much for. So I, I jumped sure. over to the, the Sonos platform, uh, which I really love. It works really well, and it sounds great. 
So in addition to that, I have uh, a couple of older Nexus tablets around the house. Okay. So I can use those to display Home Assistant and use that kind of as a heads-up display if mm-hmm. you want to use it. And I'm running Lovelace on those. Also on my on my desk here at work, I have a uh, Raspberry Pi with a you know the seven-inch touchscreen, and I'm running uh, Home Assistant uh, UI on that also. So that just cool. okay. acts, as a de- acts as a desktop interface to it. So so you did kind of a DIY yeah. touchscreen plus blah 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 whatever. Yep. On the Raspberry Pi. Yep, you got it. Cool, cool, very cool. And how does that? How do you find that as a responsive with Lovelace? Is it a bit slow because it's powered by the Raspberry Pi, or is it okay? Uh, it actually runs extremely well. I haven't had any any slowdowns or problems with it whatsoever. Oh, so I'm using. Great. Uh, I believe I'm using Chrome in kiosk mode on the tablet or on the mm-hmm. on the uh, Raspberry Pi. On the Pi, interesting. All right, okay. So, what are you using for? presence in your home are you doing you know, anything fancy with bluetooth beacons or you're just using wi-fi um right now i'm doing wi-fi for presence detection uh, as well mm-hmm. as the ios app which and, and the combination of both of those seems to work pretty well together yeah yeah I, th- I find wi-fi pretty reliable as long as your battery doesn't run out then yep. yeah that's pretty solid uh, for a while there i was running um bluetooth or uh bluetooth beacons and that just got a little mm. hairy, and, and it would work pretty well for a while, and then it just got to be more cumbersome than it was worth. So. Yeah, fair. More more maintenance, more yep. stuff to deal with. Yep. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I'm going to just uh, ask a personal question. With your all your frequencies that you're running, you know, you said before you had that controller that has, you know, Z-Wave and, and ZigBee and all that. How do you find uh, interference with, uh, like, clashing technologies? For example, I'm running ZigBee and... Uh, Z-Wave mm-hmm. and Wi-Fi here in my home, but the Zigbee range is really shocking. So, have you got any interference that you've had to overcome with I, with your mesh networks? I, I honestly haven't encountered any problems at all with it. Um, but but then again, I'm only running a single uh, Z-Wave device right now, which is the which is the thermostat. Mm. So yeah, because my my Z-Wave is is solid. Like ever, all the powered stuff acts as repeaters, and and that's fine. And I, I'm using Zigbee to MQTT, and I've got every downlight is basically a Zigbee downlight at the moment. Yeah. But for whatever reason, like they cover the whole house, but uh, there's just lots of dropouts. You know, I'll, I'll turn a group on, and and only one light will come on from the whole group, or or something like that. So it's very frustrating. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, yeah. I'm not sure what you can do about that. I know, I know. I'm just gonna. It's, it's one of my to dos, right? To to fix it. Re- re- it's not working. Rebuild your network. Yeah. yeah start <laughs> over. <I'm, laughs> that's right. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to like halve the house, like put half of the Zigbee stuff at one end of the house and run another controller at the other end and just, do it that way. Just run a run a big sheet of tinfoil between the two houses. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So there we go. There's right. the answer. That's that right. makes sense. Barrier. <laughs> so. What are uh, what are some of your favorite uh, automations and stuff, John? I mean, in terms of what you've done, or how do they how do they improve your quality of life? Um, I really like um, basically not having to interact with my home at all. I, I, basically, what I'm trying to say is like w- yeah. when my when my alarm clock goes off in the morning, uh, I have an automation that kicks off that you know turns the lights on and fades them in uh, no matter if it's you know dark outside or not uh, and i have a sonos speaker that turns on and plays some music and it slowly fades the volume in for instance um, mm-hmm. 
And then it's also smart enough to know, you know, if it's a work day or if it's a weekend or if it's a holiday or, or if I'm working from home or not and, and turn on lights um, kind of as I need them, you know? So as I wake up and get up out of bed, for instance, the hall, hallway light turns on or the bath or the bathroom light turns on or the kitchen lights turn on uh, depending on, you know, what I would need when I would need it, would need it to happen. Um, so, so those kind of automations where, you know, very little interaction from me is required. It just right. does what I would do anyways. That's cool. Nice. And so have you gone to, and this is something I've always thought about, but if you need, if you have like a dynamic waking up times, so have you got to the point where you could ask one of your voice assistants to set an alarm, at, you know, at a random time and then home assistant will detect when that alarm goes off and then kick off your morning routine as opposed to it being, you know, at 7am every morning, do the same thing? Well, um, that kind of gets into another topic that I wanted to bring up, which is mm. um, I've inst- I've gotten away from hard coding any kind of values within Home Assistant and started using uh, basically variable values in the UI. So I'll make a slider, yes. for instance, mm-hmm. or I'll make a, 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 the ability to select numbers or time slots within the UI instead of having to hard code anything. So if I want to change the alarm clock right now, I literally grab my phone and go to my you know bedroom tab and change the hour and change the minute and there's my alarm clock. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. See, right. that makes sense. And then it, it, you know, it stays that way unless I need to change it. So, so in this case, home assistant is your alarm clock or, or kind of, kind of everything it gets driven by there. Yep. Yep. Everything gets okay. initiated from there and then driven elsewhere. Okay. Yep. Mm, so you've obviously got a bit of trust there in, in Home Assistant that is actually going to control that whole process of waking you up. I know yeah, yeah. I sort of broached the topic with my partner and it was sort of like we, we can't afford, you know, in the middle of the night for Home Assistant to go down and then we don't get woken up and, and we're late for work. So right. better to keep it into a contained sort of system. But Yep. And yeah, I ran, I ran cool. into that. I, I went down that road originally, and I said, "Well, do I? How much do I want to trust the system to do what it's, you know, designed mm-hmm. to do?" And um, at the end of the day, I, I kind of had to ask myself, "Well, you know, at your job, you trust that the servers are going to be working, and if they're not, you're going to hear about it, right?" So, <laughs> true, true. I, I, I basically did the same kind of thing with Home Assistant as I set up, you know, uh, uh, the ability to monitor Home Assistant uh, and then get a, get a notification if it goes down, or automatically restart it if it goes down. Right. Right. Hmm, yeah, I'm 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 still at the point where I use my I use my Echo as an alarm, and then if it's a super important meeting or something I have in the morning, I'll also I'll also put it on my phone. So yeah, a little more little more primitive, right? But yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad you're able to put that much trust into thing. And 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 I mean, yeah, I mean, I have the auto restart and all that stuff. Well, it's not running right now, but yeah, it was at some point. But uh, yeah, hmm. that's interesting. Yeah, and I've um, and I went through that whole process of how much do I want to trust this, and then eventually got down to the point where I I could trust it. You know, it didn't fail me, and it hasn't failed me yet. So, wow, why why wouldn't I? So. Touch wood. Yeah. That's that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Today will be the day. Okay. <laughs> right, right. I will not wake up tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> just just because you mentioned it. No. Right. Um, yep. So if you've got like alarms controlled via sliders in in Home Assistant, what else are you? What other variables have you got through your UI that you can adjust for your home? Uh, I've got the alarm control panel. I also have um, thermostat control, obviously. I have a, a a bedroom, or I'm sorry, a bedtime kind of automation that I created. I tend to 
I'm sure a lot of us do this, but I tend to get involved with technology and kind of forget what time it is. And next thing I know, it's <laughs> two o'clock in the morning and I need to wake up at six. So um, yeah. I created kind of a bedtime routine for myself. So uh, at a certain time that I can configure in the UI, my hallway light turns on, for instance, and then my bedroom lights turn on, uh, kind of letting me know in a nice way that I need to go to bed. <laughs> um, nice. That seems to help pretty well, actually. I'll be, you know, sitting sitting there watching TV and go, oh, wait a second, the hallway light's on. Oh, crap, what time is it? There you go. <laughs> right. So it's a nice reminder. So I've got all my lights uh, all that you can control the, because they're all Zigbee lights, you can control the color temperature and the brightness of each individual globe. Mm-hmm. So as uh, the night gets, I think it's 10.30 at night, the lights will all... Uh, dim down and they'll also get a slightly yellow just to sort of yep. remind you like it just it, it doesn't necessarily have to force you but it just it, it's like a, a really subtle way of telling you it's late it's we're about to yeah. go to bed sort yeah. of thing it's a yeah great yeah. little feature it's one of my favorite things that my my home does yep i i did the same kind of i did it well i can really appreciate that I, I also have an automation that turns on the lights when the sun goes down so mm, a lot exactly. of times i'll be we are working from home, for instance, and I'll notice, oh, it's getting brighter in my room. Oh, my living room lights are on. It's probably time to stop working. And yeah. Right. There that, go. That's, a, that's a good indicator to stop working. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I should take cues from my, uh, my automation. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I've started to use more often or in the last couple of weeks was uh, the ESP Home platform. Ooh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's been – yeah, Otto's done an awesome job on that. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, it really, really has. Um, I, I've been in the process of programming a uh, a weather display using an e-paper screen. And, oh, nice! Uh, the 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 goal here is to run it off of a battery, so it's is able to you know sit and sit on a desktop or a, or a counter somewhere and mm-hmm. show me the current weather. Um, but it's really nice to be able to pull all of that data from Home Assistant. Ah, that's cool. So that's very cool. Is that like a, a guide you're following online or have you just sourced the parts yourself and, and doing it like as your own little creation? Yeah, just uh, so I've uh, I've done electronics kind of as a hobby for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I'm just doing it myself. So I'm just running a uh, ESP32 development board as well as the e-paper display and I've wired That's everything cool. up and I'm programming it by hand. Very cool. Nice. So in terms of power supply, will that require like batteries or can it be, will it be plugged in 24-7? I'm probably going to run a LiPo battery. Yep. So one of the development boards I'm using has a a, a LiPo charging port on it. So I'll probably right. run a LiPo battery and then put the uh, put the device into kind of a deep sleep mode. So yep. it'll wake up it'll wake up every hour, turn on Wi-Fi, grab the latest data, and then go back into a sleep mode. And, okay. uh, and then, because of the e paper it'll just remain. Yep. You got yeah, it. Yeah, that's cool. So hopefully, with that setup, the battery should last you know months. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, so the, yeah. that's, the flexibility of that platform is really, really neat, and I'm I'm enjoying working with it. That's neat. Yeah, that is very cool. And is that the only like ESP stuff like you started with? That was kind of the first ESP uh, gateway drug, we'll call it. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it's going to branch off <laughs> in other things. Uh, I, I currently run a few Sonos devices around the house, and those monitor some power usage and things like that. So I'll mm-hmm. probably convert those over to ESP Home. Um, right. I also, um, back in the early days, gosh, several years ago now, I, I created um, some temperature and humidity sensors that I put around the home because I wanted to find a way of monitoring temperature and humidity. And yep. uh, there was, and the the options out there weren't very good. 
uh, I, I looked at a few of them and they all required, you know, an ecosystem and a hub and all this other stuff. And I didn't really care to jump into that. So I, uh, I, I created um, a couple of very small, very simple uh, ESP8266 devices that uh, also have a temperature and humidity uh, component on them that monitors those. Right. And then they uh, actually connect via Wi-Fi and communicate to an MQTT broker. So I'll probably, yeah. I'll probably convert really those cool. over to ESP Home. I'm always scared of, like, I see, like, all the cool stuff being done, like, on that platform. I'm like, if I go down that road, then I'm going to have so many, like, gadgets and, and all that. I've already got, like, Raspberry Pis just sitting in the drawer not doing anything that I, I'm always thinking, oh, I'll do this, that, oh, I can automate it that way. But the the way Otto's made that really simple to do, I can think I will go crazy automating stuff with that sort of, with all those ESPs. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. John, thanks a lot for joining us today. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers. 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 Thanks to our guest today, John. If you want to see a picture of his cool little e-ink display weather station and to check all the links to topics that we've discussed today, check out the show notes on haspodcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. If you want to share your Home Assistant journey or come on as a guest, uh, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. 